everyone. Welcome back to Don't Be a Drag. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. We have a very special guest today with us, Lotus Diarmani from Auburn, Alabama, I believe it is. Birmingham. Birmingham. I'm sorry. Birmingham, Alabama. Moved from Auburn to Birmingham, but thank you for having me. <laughs> That's right. I knew you were associated with Auburn somehow. Went to school there. War Eagle. Yes. So Lotus is from Birmingham, and she is a drag queen who performs out there a lot and has been very involved in that area, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about her drag and her drag journey and just some other things that she's involved with. So Lotus, how are you doing? And just tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm great today. Um, I've actually took the, the day off and then it's really funny because I might have the day off tomorrow because it's possibly snowing and you know how it's snowing Alabama goes. Oh yeah. They've already canceled all the school in the entire county. Everybody's racing for that bread and milk. <laughs> right. And for what? Like br bread sandwiches? I don't get it. <laughs> Um, bread and milk sandwiches, that's funny. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm great. Um, I am, I, like you said, I came from Auburn to Birmingham um, back in 2015. Um, I've been performing in Auburn since 2011 or 12, like end of 11, beginning of tw 2012, and um, moved to Birmingham in 2015. Um, performed here and there, was... Um, Point to the floating flower because I didn't really have a, a drag home yet, uh, but I was um, fortunate enough to be um, added to the Divas Review cast at our place um, back in 2014, I believe. Mm -hmm. 15? No, 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 hold on. I'm, I'm getting my days messed up. Um, it was 2000 because I moved here in 15. So it's like end of 2016 that I. Um, on the Divas cast um, at our place, um, and I've been per I was performing there until June of last year. Um, I just took some time off to focus on myself and focus on you know boy me because you know he pays the bills. Um, so I, I did that, um, and I now I'm just performing uh, anywhere anyone will have me, and um, just you know rocking it out that way. So what made you want to move from Auburn up to Birmingham? Um, actually, it was my job. I graduated college in May of 2015, and I worked for a real estate agent, and his son fell ill with um, a blood, a rare blood cancer, and so he had to um, move uh, Basically, well, it wasn't that he moved. It was that he was spending a lot of time in Birmingham um, with his son. And so because he wasn't selling houses, he wasn't really able to pay me any money. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Birmingham, you know, to be closer to family because my grandfather had fell ill with cancer as well. And so just to move up here and, you know, start my life here in Birmingham um, for my boy job. Mm -hmm. But also at the time I was... Um, Miss Owls on 7th, 2015, and so I had already cultivated some relationships with the, the queens here in Birmingham, and, you know, my life just kind of landed here, and it's been great ever since. Now, you just mentioned that you were Miss Owls on 7th at the time. Now, that's not the only title that you've gotten over the years. Tell me about some of the other things that 
you've acquired since you started performing? When I started performing, <laughs> oh God, it was my, I, I called them my booger years <laughs> because um, when I started performing, it was because I was um, the director of political affairs for the Auburn Gay Straight Alliance. Um, the, cha- the name has changed since then. I think they're just Spectrum mm-hmm. Alliance. Um, but uh, I was the director then, and uh, we had this fundraiser called What a Drag. And so we, you would perform for tips, and all the money that was raised would go to a charity of your choice. Um, so I did it one year in 2010, and it was, oh, my God, I had, like ran to the Mac counter. My, my friend Matthew Francis painted my face. And um, I looked great. Like, I, I, from head to toe, I looked fine. But it was, I didn't know how to walk in heels. I didn't know how to perform. So we did, I, but um, that year, I won their, you know, we, it was based off, like, the most tips raised. So I won Miss What a Drag in um, 2011, I think. Because um, it was, like, the second year that I did it. That I got it, um, and then I won Miss Owls on Seventh, twenty fifteen. I was Miss Central Alabama Pride, twenty seventeen, and I was Miss Apollo, two thousand eighteen. Miss Apollo Birmingham, two thousand eighteen. So I've, I've got a, a a few of them underneath my belt. I don't have all of them yet here in Birmingham, but you know I have a few of them. Now the most recent one that you went for with um, Apollo isn't that. Also, uh, a small tiered competition that goes to like a national level as well. Yes, um, I competed for National Apollo twice: once in Baton Rouge and once here in Birmingham. Um, that, that that pageant, um, because there are four sister crews in um, Birmingham, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Lafayette. Um, they they share where the national pageant is going to be. So it changes every year. Uh, but yes, the, the local pageant happens first, and then you compete for the national title, which is just, it's really not like a, I wouldn't say, I'm not going to discredit it and say that it's not a national title, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's it's no it's nationally known because the Apollo title has probably been the, the longest running um, title in the state of, uh, in the United States, um, behind Miss Gay America, I believe. So how was it going, because you, you've done it twice now, how was it competing in a pageant like that versus something here local? Was it a lot harder and a lot more intense? Um, I wouldn't say that it was a lot harder. I would say that a, a lot goes into the process as a whole. Um, I think any pageant that any queen decides to do, they, they kind of have to go in, you know, all in. Um, with with Apollo, with, with the crew titles, it's kind of, it's different because with um, a regular title that you're doing, it, it's kind of left open for, you know, you're told what to do. This is, this is what kind of, we want a creative presentation or we want an all-white presentation. But with the crew titles, they're, they're very much into Mardi Gras. So most of it's surrounded um, solely off of, you know, what kind of back, elaborate back pieces you can create or um, what kind of, and if you do have a costume, it better be a damn good costume because, I mean, they're all about the over-the-top, mm-hmm. uh, the bigger, the better kind of mentality. Now, what exactly are 
the cruise, kind of like a, just a general sense, because I know recently, like this past year was the first time I, I had ever heard of them, and I'd heard a few different ones in the Birmingham area, but what exactly is a crew, and like what, what do they do? Um, so the crews around Birmingham, there are there are three here locally that I know of. Um, I know that there's two in Birmingham and one in Tuscaloosa. I believe that there may be some scattered around in um, like the Mobile area because I know Mardi Gras is very um, heavy there. But I know that the crews, uh, most of them are service organizations um, that I mean they pay a membership to be a part of, but the, their sole responsibility is to put on a ball. Um, which, you know, happens around the Mardi Gras season, um, carnival season, which is normally, you know, late January, early February. Um, and so what they do is they raise money for an organization of their choice. And I know that the crew of Apollo normally, um, benefits, um, Birmingham AIDS Outreach, Caritas benefits AIDS Alabama. And I believe that Druid's the Mystic Crew of the Druids, they benefit um, the West Alabama AIDS Outreach. So it's kind of like, for those of us in college um, that are listening, because I know we have a lot of um, listeners from that age, it's it's kind of like a service organization that we would join in college, but in the more adult sense, I guess you could say. Correct. So how did, um, how did you first become like associated with one of these groups? Because I know you said you weren't formally a member, but you you do some stuff with them. How how did you get involved? I got involved through the pageant system. Um, I wanted to be Miss Apollo because I had gone to one of the balls, and um, I think I had seen the Miss Apollo at the time was Sierra Simone Campbell, and so I studied up on it. And I think the year the year that I competed was the year that Sharon Cox had won, and that was um, Vicky, Victoria Taylor's give up uh, but I'd seen Sierra perform and I said one day I want to be I want to be that girl I want to be like her I want to be on the stage you know all eyes on me spotlight and eventually it happened I mean it took a while but you know nothing worth having isn't worth fighting for so I just kept going for it kept going for it and you know eventually it happened and so I got involved with them through the pageants and my husband is actually part of the crew of Apollo and so we we do a lot of stuff with them through that because I just I support the crews all the crews in Birmingham and in Tuscaloosa uh, because I mean I, I believe in the mission of you know the crews. Now that you've become so involved with the different organizations and groups, the pageants, and have all these relationships with the different queens from Birmingham and such, tell us about your experience. When you first started, what made you want to start performing in drag? Because I know for some people, it's something that they kind of always want to do, and some people it's just something they're kind of thrown into, and it sticks, and they end up just keep going. But what was it like for you? Oh, boy. Well, yeah. God, I don't, I don't know how queens from who are more mature and older than me, like, remember what they ate yesterday, much less, like, what made us want to get in drag. Uh, because I'm <laughs> thinking, oh, goodness. Um, 
I think for me, it started really young. Um, my I come from a lower middle class family, and so my grand my great grandmother uh, basically raised me. Um, but she loved to take me to her friends uh, to see her friends at the nursing home, and she would put me up on the little stage they had, and she would say, you know, sing and dance for my friends because you know I I know you love to do it, and. So I would get up there and I would sing songs and I would dance around. And so it kind of started early. I don't think she knew that she was cultivating a drag queen. Um, maybe a Broadway star, but <laughs> not a drag queen. But so I think it started really early that I love, I've always loved performing and like being center of attention and in the spotlight. So when it came time to, you know, hey, we were doing this drag show. Do you want to be a part of it? I, I was all over it. I was like, oh, absolutely, yes, I love it. And at that time, when I started college, I think RuPaul's Drag Race had just started like coming out. And so not everybody knew what it was. So it was kind of like a, I won't say cult, but it was kind of like an underground thing on, on, on the college campus because, you know, we would all find that one person that lived in a, in a apartment building who had logo at the time to you know, watch it, and so I, I fell in love with, you know, that, and was like, oh my god, I need, I, I want to be a part of this, I want to be a part of whatever this is, and so a friend that was working, um, he, he did, like, the open show nights in Montgomery, we would drive 45 minutes, get in face, drive 45 minutes from Auburn to Montgomery, and then we would watch a drag show, and uh, my first ever drag queen to watch was Dream Nut Andrews. And I watched her do a Lady Gaga number, and, you know, I was just so enthralled with what was happening on stage. It was like a, a big just an experience for me that I said, you know what, I want to I do that. I want to be a part of that, because it, it made people happy. It made so many people happy in the room. And the, the more entertainers that came out, like Felicia Gallant, Chloe Von Trapp, Ty Chanel Jones, they just all started coming out, and I was like, oh, my God. I want to be a part of this. Now, granted, it took me a while to, you know, get on my feet because um, that size 13 heel doesn't come easy, honey. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was, I think, like, what started, what sparked it in me was seeing how happy it made everybody, and I wanted to do that for people. Since you started, what has been... I guess one of the best or most rewarding experiences that you've had since you've become Lotus? Hmm. The most rewarding experience that I would say that I had in drag was that one night, we had a Broadway night in, in Auburn, and I was the last number, so obviously, you know, if I'm going to be the last number, I need to go big, go home. So... I put together a um, Elphaba number from Wicked and did um, Defying Gravity. And I, I, bitch, I was like running on the on the top of the bar because, um, like, you know, she, it's Defying Gravity. She had to be seen, so mm-hmm. she wasn't just going to be on this little little stage. She was going to like be up in the air and to see everybody singing along to the to the song to see people there was even one lady who like this is where i'm going with this she cried when meeting at the the meet and greet at the end of the night when the queen stood up on the stage to you know have their pictures taken with everybody she cried because i'll never forget it she told me 
never been to Broadway, and you're about as close as I'm going to get. For me, that was, you know, it was groundbreaking and revolutionary for me because I was sitting here thinking, you know, I've never been to Broadway either. And I just know what I've seen and what I've what I've heard from, you know, YouTube and from people who have gone, you know, what they've experienced. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, I'm bringing people something that, you know, they may never experience in their life. And the most rewarding thing for me is to be able to provide them with that experience. So that would be it. And, you know, just being able to make people happy. Kind of in the same sense, who, kind of like how you said that that was kind of a big inspiration for her because she's not going to get to see Broadway. What has, what was one of the biggest things that inspired you, whether it be another drag queen or just something in your life that just kind of inspires you with what you do? I think that as drag queens, we pull our, our strength and our femininity from strong female characters, roles, and whatnot in our lives. I would say that in my personal life, without the spotlight, I think that my friends are big inspirations for me. I think that nature is a big inspiration for me. I see beautiful things in nature that I'm like, how can I recreate that and make that a costume? I think that my mom and my family, who's been very supportive of me and drag, they are a real big inspiration for me as well. I think that when it comes to like pop culture, obviously what comes to mind is, you know, like Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, you know, the big ones, um, and Erica Jane, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, just that, that those strong, powerful females who, you know, I, grew, I mean, I'm, I'll tell you, I live in the eighties sometimes because I'm the, I'm the only one in my friend group that I will, I'm, I'm going to say friend group, friend group outside of, you know, the, the one that I hang out with all the time is, you know, I, I know I know who Madonna is, I know who Cher is, I know who Pat Benatar is, I know Cindy Lauper. You know, it's it's I, I think that any kind of strong female presence has always been an inspiration for me. I guess something I want to touch on, because you, you mentioned your family um, a couple of times, your grandmother who helped you kind of open up that performance side that you enjoy, and then your parents. I wanted to ask, how was it when, well, I guess for one, when you started performing in drag, how did they handle that? And also, when you came out, how did your family handle that? It was, it was, I'm not going to say it was difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I think that everyone kind of already knew. They were just waiting for me to say something. Mm -hmm. So when I came out, it was just kind of like, you know, I came out first to like aunts and uncles and cousins and they were like, oh yeah, honey, we already know. But when I came out to my mom, it was kind of like I was forced out of the closet mm -hmm. uh, because she had, oh, she, she had read a text that had come to my phone. Oh, um, no. This was before. It was before the age of like iPhones and how you could program them to just say iMessage and you know no. This is like a flip phone where you can anybody could just read whatever that was in there. Um, 
And so my mom saw that. And so the very next day we went to church and um, she basically set up a meeting with me and the pastor and the pastor and I like had the link long lengthy conversation about, you know, homosexuality and how he wishes that he could have, you know, stopped it earlier. Or, you know, I knew you were feminine, so I should have said something to your parents before this happened. Um, as if like it was something like I like came down with the flu or something. And, um, so when I came out as a drag queen, um, this was, this was like a year or two after I had, come out to my parents and um when I came out as a drag queen I think that my parents they took it all right um my dad asked me why are you making money and I said yeah and he said okay as long as you're collecting the coin (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's a pretty good response though (laughs) better than what it could be (laughs) right and then when when, um my mom found out my mom was like oh okay well you know, it, t- it took her a minute because she had already just come to terms with, you know, oh my God, my son is gay, to, oh now he's dressing in women's clothing. Like it was kind of like a double whammy. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel I feel bad for like not really easing them into it. Yeah. But kind of like throwing myself out there. But I think that my parents handled me coming out as a drag queen better than the community did mm-hmm. because my parents got backlash from the church. Um, for not, like, banishing me from the house, from the family, basically because they didn't turn their back on me. Yeah. Um, my parents suffered a lot. Like, my mom was removed from so many um, leadership roles within the church. My dad was taken stripped of some. And uh, I, think, I think there was one morning where they were doing a sermon. Uh, the pastor, who knew that I was a drag queen, um, he he did a sermon on how um, men, men shall not lie with men and shall not wear the women's clothing. And he just kind of like the, the, the look just kind of went straight for my parents. And my mom was like, I can't do this anymore. And my dad said, all right, well, let's go. And so they stood up and they walked out. And I heard about it like through the grapevine. And um, I, felt, I felt proud of my parents for like, I guess in a way sticking up for me, but also sticking up for themselves because, you know, I think that as queer people, not very many of us have, you know, safe places to go or like people who are in our corner uh, from our own families. And like to know that my family, you know, had my back and that they were going to, you know, leave a church because they supported me. Um, and my decision, I was just like, oh, wow, because we're all very spiritual people. I mean, I think that, you know, I still, I still pray, I still pray to God and, you know, I, I have faith and I think that, you know, I think that that with my parents accepting me coming out, um, they, they accepted me as a drag queen as well. And that was really powerful. That's something I've kind of heard a lot from people I've talked to, not even just like drag performers, but just people in general who deal with that type of issue is that sometimes their family will accept them. It may take a minute, but they do accept it and try to work with them and everything. But a lot of people outside or in the church don't still don't understand it and don't accept it and give an even harder time with it. 
And a lot of people also don't think that you can be LGBT and also be Christian. But, I mean, we see in from people that we talk to that, like, that's not the case. You can be. What is something that, like, you would want to tell those people that tell you you can't do that type of stuff? You can't be this and that. I think that our intersectionalities are what makes us unique and beautiful in our communities. Um, I, I would just have to say, like, mind your business. Like, I... I the only person that I, I say this all the time, the only person that can judge me is God. And so until that day comes, let him do it. You stay over there. Mm-hmm. Like if, he, if he's the ultimate judge, why, why are you judging? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to have to answer for myself. You're going to have to answer for the hate in your heart. So like, I mean, I've got, I've got a multitude of sins just like anybody else. So I, I think that in, our culture of America, we like to put people in a box. We like to put them either black or white. And there's, they, we ignore the grays in between. And I think that if we just would just come to understand our own identities in this world, like we could do so much more and be so much greater. Um, you know, ugh, make America great again. <laughs> I'm not going to use that. Um, but you know, I think that we could do a lot of good work with people who have different opinions, um, if we would just let our um, hate go in our hearts for each other, because I think that, like I said before, our intersectionalities are what make us beautiful. And I think being a gay and Christian, and even those who are out there who, I mean, I'll give it to them, there are, there are gay Christian Republicans out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people think that that's a walking contradiction. But, you know, I think that you know, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, they, they, they believe a certain way and they're going to act accordingly. And that's fine. But don't, I like, mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't be all up over here in my Kool-Aid. Don't even know what flavor it is. So, <laughs> that's an old cliche, girl. That's showing my age there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess kind of um, on a similar sense of how people were accepting with you what and like things were more positive what's something that's been kind of harder for you to handle um and this isn't just like with the issues of like coming out or starting in drag and stuff but just in general in life what has been something that's been really hard for you to either deal with or something you've had to work with in your life i think that the most i think that the most difficult thing that i've had to deal with or work with, um, especially in my drag life and sometimes in my personal life, because I think that some things that we do in our drag life kind of carry over into our personal life. Yeah. It's just the, the cattiness of the community. Um, I think that there are, there are some people, um, drag queens, myself included, um, who we get so, we take everything so damn personally. And I just think that if we would spend more time uplifting each other rather than worrying about what each other are doing and like celebrate each other's successes, then we could advance as a community much more better because I think that there are are a lot of people who would rather fight with the community. Um, Let me 
rephrase that. I'm going to say that there are a lot of people who would rather fight against the community than with the community Mm -hmm. because we're fighting against each other at that point. Like, sure, it's fine to cut up Kiki, be, um, be, you know, catty in a friend's sense, but when it becomes catty in a shady type of way, where, like, we're all the time talking about the same person. Or, you know, oh, girl, did you hear what so-and-so said last week? Oh, did you hear what they said? Today? Like, I get it that, you know, as queer people, like, we want to be, we're all about, we're all about the gossip, we're all about the tea. But sometimes that gossip and tea is misquoted, it's misread, it's misinformed information. So, like, you, you are getting secondhand stuff, and you're getting all upset and mad over nothing. Because mm-hmm. everybody, next thing you know, this queen's over here upset over this queen over here when this queen didn't even say what this queen has said, had thought she had said. So I think that if we would just like take take the time to actually interact with each other, communicate, and ask the hard questions, like, girl, did you really say blah 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 blah? Mm-hmm. Like that would be so much better than you know just harnessing this you know, disdain or hatred in your heart for somebody else who, you know, could just be your friend all along. So I think that's what's been most difficult for me is, you know, trying to differentiate, you know, is someone being real with me? Are they being shady? Are they Mm -hmm. being catty? Like there, there's, there is a difference and it's very evident um, because this community is, we're, we're mighty, we're small. Like we have, we are really big, but we're also really small at the same time. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The grapevine is only, you know, three strands away from whoever is feeding me information. So I don't know, girl. That's a that's a hard question. Yeah, and I've kind of been I've been seeing a lot of that, especially recently, like within the last few months, when it comes to social media, and a lot of people aren't afraid to just throw it all out there online. And go yeah, for it. Uh, because everybody now knows that we all have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what a lot of common misconception that people have when it comes to social media is that, you know, everybody has an opinion. And whether you like it or not, they're going to post it. And it's your it's your choice whether to react to it or Beyonce at all and just say, you know what, sashay away. Mm-hmm. I ain't got time for this. Because I trust you. Like the, the more and more that people talk about me, you know, I, I'm in communications and public relations in my day job and all publicity is good publicity so the more that you're running your mouth about xyz person xyz person's getting more and more followers because they're wanting to follow the beef and the tip and whatnot so just keep everybody's name out your damn mouth unless you've got good reason for it being there absolutely I guess flipping the script to a different uh, subject, going back to you and the stuff that you've been up to, tell us, has there any been anything recently that you've been working on or is there anything that you're getting ready for, like whether it be like performance trip wise or just any specialty shows that you're planning on doing? Um, well, I, I will be traveling here in a little bit. I know that I'll be traveling down to Lafayette in two weeks. Um, I'll be at, back in Auburn in March. Um, hopefully, I'll be 
um, out and about in Birmingham real soon. I know that they're, they're starting up a new open stage here in Birmingham that I really want to be a part of down at Al's. I will be in the, I'll be showcased in the Apollo Ball, which will be really exciting. So if people haven't gotten their tickets and whatnot for that, you know, message me, social media. I do want to ask you um, about the Apollo Ball. When is it? Where is it? And how much does it cost for anyone listening who might be interested? Well, the Apollo Ball is going to be February 23rd. Um, I think the doors will close at 7 or 8. I can't remember. Um, But uh, the tickets are $55 a person. And um, if you would like a ticket, you can always contact me and or uh, my husband, but I say con- I say contact me so that I can tell him to reach out to you because <laughs> Lord knows that you know if I leave it up to him to do it, he'll never get done. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, because I we we talk a little bit about what a crew is, but tell me what exactly happens at these um, balls because I know everybody kind of has a vague sense of what a ball is, but what is it that you guys do at these events? Mardi Gras balls, like they have the um, tableaus, so it's really just a big party where everyone comes together and gets drunk, and there's normally like a, a theme to the party, mm-hmm. and um, the, the, the theme like this year is Icons of Pride, so for Apollo, I think uh, Caritas just had their ball this past weekend, and uh, theirs was the Hot House, so there was a story about, you know, the captain uh, being part of, uh, I, I can't tell you what the story was exactly, but I know that the captain uh, put together this fabulous idea of basically the, a greenhouse that um, uh, he was a mad scientist, the captain was like a mad scientist, and you know the the chemicals that were in the greenhouse like made all of the creation, all of the uh, flowers come to life, and so it was a glitz and glam ball surrounded um, on different types of flowers, um, and now uh, for Apollo. There is the Icons of Pride, which is, you know, surrounded by um, any, because it is the 50th anniversary, this year will be the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Um, the Icons of Pride were put into place because, uh, for this ball um, to commemorate that and um, celebrate the Icons of Pride. So um, the, it's, they all put together like these elaborate costumes, back pieces, and whatnot, and um, they throw out beads, and it's kind of like it's like a mini Mardi Gras, because mm-hmm. um, it's not down the street like in New Orleans, uh, but it's like at like the Apollos was at Boutwell, but Caritas was at Work Play in Birmingham, and so they have they have basically rented out these spaces to gag you with all these elaborate costumes all night. Very nice. Room, mainly because to the parties to get drunk. Of course. The fun part. <laughs> so if any, yes, if any of you guys are interested, um, feel free to get in touch with Lotus. Where should they go to get in touch with you? Well, you can find me uh, on Facebook. Um, I have two pages. I have my friend page and I have my fan page um, at Lotus D Armani. Um, D Armani is D I A R M A N I, um, and you could also find me on Instagram at Lotus underscore Diarmani, and the same goes for Twitter. All right, so 
Make sure you guys get in contact with her as soon as possible because it's coming up very, very soon. We'll even just, what is that, two weeks? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, oh, goodness. Uh, Apollo Ball is probably like in three. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, yeah, those are coming up quick. So make sure you get in touch with them to get your tickets. And um, Lotus, is there anything else that you would like to talk with real quick before we head out for the day? just tell everyone to you know remember who you are in this world and know that you know that there's always going to be someone out there who loves you and lotus is going to be one of them all righty guys so i hope you enjoyed this episode with lotus diarmani uh, make sure to stay tuned next week for our next episode uh, we're going to have another special guest that i hope you guys are going to enjoy and with that this is our podcast and remember don't be a drag